Welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio. Join us each week as we delve into some of life's most complex questions. It's time to explore the unexplained. Hey, and welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio. This is Karen Frazier I'm hosting today. I'm really excited to talk to our guest, Dr. Michael Lennox. He's a practicing psychologist and dream interpreter. For more than 20 years, Michael has interpreted thousands of dreams. His fascination with his nighttime phenomenon began when he was a teenager after reading his mother's copy of Freud's Interpretation of Dreams. Having vivid and memorable dream experiences from the time he was a small boy, the notion they could be analyzed and understood on a deeper level was an almost overpowering concept. Initially, social situations in which people routinely expressed having had bizarre dreams offered Michael the opportunity to try out his newfound gift. As a young adult, he pursued any and all opportunities to learn more about these theories surrounding dream interpretation. Formal graduate study followed, and he earned his doctorate in psychology in 2006. Michael is the author of Llewellyn's Little Book of Dreams, a pocket-sized guide to dreams and interpretation for improved understandings of your journey through life. He is also the author of Dreamside, a dictionary guide for interpreting any dream which is on my bookshelf, and Llewellyn's Complete Dream Dictionary. Welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio, Michael. Great to be here. Really great. So I have to start off. Freud, when you were a teenager, really? Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, really. Well, first of all, you know, my mother's bookshelf was always a source of fascination. You know, she had weird and strange books. And, and so from a time I was a very little boy, I was very locked in to exploring, you know, stuff that was on her shelf, whether it was about myths or fabulous books that had pictures of, you know, naked people in it. That was also, you know, the definite treat for my little boy well, mentality. Sure. <laughs> right? Um but she was getting her MSW, her master's in social work, when I started, you know, yeah, it was about 14, 15 was when that began. So books began to appear and dreams. It was just dreams was what I saw. Like I didn't know from Freud, but I certainly saw the word dreams. And I not only was I fascinated because I had had such rich dreams and I was an imaginative kid. Um, but the one thing that I didn't put in the bio was the impact that, that Fiddler on the Roof had. Oh, the dreams! The dreams! Dream sequence, and on the show album, which my which my family listened to on a regular basis, she says to him, "It's on the album. Tell me what you dreamed, and I'll tell you what it meant." So, because of hearing that message so often when I was younger, that by the time I got to Freud's interpretation of dreams, it was the two things just married in my mind that that there was that thing you could say to people out in the world and that's what happened kids said i had the crazy dream and i remembered golda i said tell me what you dreamed and i'll tell you what it meant and i don't know what i said but whatever i said always got the same reaction people widened their eyes and they went wow that's so interesting so i knew that i was onto something yeah that i love the fiddler on the roof thing i haven't actually thought about that scene in such a long time but that's exactly there's this whole big dream sequence where it's an evil spirit that's right of course he was making the whole thing up as you recall right which of course you know speaks to the the idea that later when i was now working in the media a little bit um and i was doing a television show on the sci-fi network and they said to me well well, what what if someone makes something up and it's like don't worry about it because if they are the imagination 
and the unconscious work together so that even if someone's making up a dream, what they choose to make up with is being peppered by stuff that's in their unconscious. So not only could I interpret that, I could even interpret that they were making it up. That's actually happened to me on the radio where, you know, someone called up. I don't remember the exact story, but someone called up and offered some ridiculous dream. And it was clear that they were making it up. And the host knew it and I knew it. And it was a a bawdy sort of analog radio show. And I just, that's why I said, look, here's, here's my interpretation, including the notion that the person was looking and seeking to get some attention by being shocking and, you know. Because it, we're revealing ourselves all the time with our little unconscious. You know, you think you're going to say pass the salt, but you say, why would you ruin my life? Whoops. <laughs> so then daydreams can be interpreted, too. In even fact, though yeah, absolutely. Gathering. Absolutely. In fact, in traditional psychoanalysis, and uh, both, both Jung and Freud worked with fantasies. That we, they called them, you know, the technical word is fantasies. Uh, but yeah, daydreams, fantastical thoughts, where your mind wanders and the images that come up also express what's going on beneath the surface. Right. Well, and, and didn't Freud kind of see dreams as a form of wish fulfillment? Absolutely. He sort of operated on two primary tenets with dreams. One was wish fulfillment. And of course, his belief was that what the unconscious was wishing for was important. And so dreams reflected what was under the surface, wanting to be manifest maybe into reality in some fantastical way. Um, And of course, he also reduced almost everything into its sexual components because he, he believed that there was one drive. And that was the, 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 the sexual drive. And so everything else also in dreams sort of got, you know, uh, redacted, not redacted, but deconstructed down to. Um, down to sex. Down to sex, which, you know, you, one could argue is a wish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and I know, I know that Jung um, kind of built on that, but also expanded on it, right? Yeah, he expanded on it completely. First of all, the difference between Freud and Jung could be understood as a function of drives, where Freud really thought there was one drive. Jung recognized there were many drives. And so if you even just go from that one to many, then that that you get this idea of a spherical sensibility that Jung had, that there was a, and his model of the, of the unconscious and conscious mind is actually a circle. The idea that there's an all encompassing aspect to our consciousness. And in that all encompassing aspect, there is the collective unconscious, which is how we are all connected as human beings to this universal landscape where we share images and symbols that are true with a capital T for all human beings. Sure. So um, when you look at things from the standpoint of Freud and Jung, those are all very uh, psychological based, but I also have seen a lot of metaphysical basis of dreams. I'm thinking of like Edgar Cayce. So is there, is there something that's outside of the realm of psychological as well that, that you believe plays a role in dream? I would, first of all, I believe that my own experience of interpreting dreams is both mystical and sort of psychological. There's no way that as a 17, 25 and 30 year old person that I could do what I did if I weren't having an intuitive experience of of something being sparked in me, wisdom that was coming through me as a result of 
what was being triggered by the images I was being told when someone spoke a dream. What I discovered when I was, you know, down the line and now I'm in my late 30s and I'm doing this in a more visible way, uh, someone asked me, my manager at the time said, you need to figure out what it is you do so you can describe it and maybe even teach it. And I was like, oh, well, I actually, I, start, I started to cry because I was so overwhelmed by that idea. But then I just began to look. Well, what was happening? What was happening was I'm hearing a story being told to me. The story is in a language. The language is symbolic in nature and the symbols have meanings. How do they have meanings? Well, the meaning is built into the thing itself. What does it do? What's its use? What's its essence? So the, the, if, if the glass of water contains something that I need to sort of foster life. So the symbol of the glass is my capacity to draw that which I need for life to me, towards me, to take it in. The dream is about the glass breaking. Now the dream is about my personal capacity to draw something towards me that, that, that is the elixir of life itself is now not available or hampered in some way. The, you know, the... The pen, you know, writes and communicates in a permanent way. That's what it does. Well, but that's what its meaning is, too. So the pen appears in the dream. It's like my ability or willingness to, to commit to what my communication or my thoughts are, because when I used it, it's going to happen in a permanent way. So when I discovered that that's what I was doing, I realized that this was both mystical because I didn't know that that's what I was doing. It was wisdom that was coming through me, but it was certainly in the same realm as what Jung said, which was that in the universal landscape, these things have meaning based on their universal appeal or their universal or the universality. And what is universality other than agreement? Right. Something is agree in agreed upon by millions of people, then it becomes universal. So yes. uh, Scarlett Johansson is considered beautiful by millions of people. That is so true. So she therefore vibrates as an archetype no different than Venus or Aphrodite, who millions of people believed was, was a great exemplar of love and beauty, right? So mm -hmm. now I'm not talking about Scarlett who, you know, poops and makes breakfast. and No, you you're know, talking, about talking about the essence the of image, her. The image, the essence yeah. of it, the archetypal image of her. So... I do believe that there is a universal meaning behind dream images yes. that we can tap into. Now, in the world of psychotherapy, as therapists, you are absolutely trained to get out of the way. You're not allowed to interpret. You have to let the dreamer do all the work. And no matter where they go, that's sacred. And that's not what I do. So right. There was a lot of conflict about that. It's like, yeah, but you know, yes, that's true. And you and you and you and you, yeah, you shouldn't do what I do. You should, as a therapist, really allow the dream to just percolate in the dreamer's experience. But if that dreamer comes to me, then the consciousness drew us together. Right. And I have a particular gift and a particular way of working that, yeah, that I, 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 what I do, not a lot of other people can do. And if you drew me to you, then your consciousness drew that particular way and that particular style to you in order to have the organic, you know, dream sure. experience. Sure. So I want to just uh, because 
our listeners probably don't understand some of the words you said, or maybe just don't have a good concept of them. I want to talk about archetypes because archetypes are really big in dreams and they're big in other things too. I mean, even a standard tarot deck has archetypes in it. That's right. Yeah. In fact, uh, yeah. Astrology. And so let's let's talk about archetypes and, and what they are and what role they play in any of our symbolic languages. So an archetype at the, foundation of it is a, a coalescing or a constellation of like ideas that that gather around itself. So we started with Scarlett Johansson. There's an archetype of love, of feminine beauty that's archetypal in nature. You know, the, the Latin is a priori, existing before. Mm-hmm. So love and beauty existed before there were people who embodied it. Yes. War and aggression exists as an energy before we have warring people to fulfill the archetype. In the ancients, Mars became the god of war and that red dot became his planet. And so the archetype of war. So these are very basic and simple, fundamental masculine and and feminine principle archetypes. It's one of the reasons why I love astrology so much. The 12 signs of the Zodiac. Everybody thinks it's like, oh, well, I date a lot of Capricorns and they're awful. So that's what that's what astrology is. But really, it's a it's a system of archetypes. I like to think of the 12 signs of the Zodiac as the inhabitants of a 12 unit condo. Each person lives in their unit and they're each an expert on one thing. Right. Scorpio is an expert on death. Death and rebirth. Okay. Libra is an expert on balance and beauty and art. Aries is an expert on starting things up. And so each of these, so this is this reveals the layers of then what an archetype is. It's an idea or an energy that is sort of expert into and unto itself. So when we go to a movie and that movie moves us. It's moving us because it's playing into our archetypal nature and we recognize ourselves in that. So the hero journey is present in the best movies or the best novels and we project ourselves into it because we are the hero in our own life. The hero knows that something's missing, doesn't know what it is, and is cast out to go on a journey to find it. Then they find it and they bring it back to save the community. So this is true whether it's Luke Skywalker. Right. Who's like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. This sort of sucks. I hate this planet. And he goes off on a journey. He finds that he is what he is and then he brings it back to save humanity. Well, the same thing is true for us as human beings. We know that something's missing and so we come into this life, this earth, this birth, we're like, I'm here to go on a journey. I got to find something. I don't know what it is. And then if we're lucky, somewhere along the way, we find what it is, our life purpose, perhaps, and then we bring it back to save humanity. This is archetypes in action. The hero is an archetype. The villain who opposes you is an archetype. Right. So what's the difference then between an archetype and a stereotype? Oh, that's such a great question. An archetype is universal in nature and knows no barrier of shame, separateness, or criticism or judgment. Okay. And a stereotype is about separate. A stereotype says, I'm not that and you are that. 
Okay. So one is about all of us and our common experience. That's and the other one is about making ourselves feel better or special. By, yes. By declaring something as separate and not me. Okay, cool. So let's talk then about, um, in, I was reading your, uh, some, just looking at some of your blog posts on your, your website, which is, what's your website? MichaelLennox.com. There you go, on MichaelLennox.com. With two and N's, I, by the way, I accidentally sent somebody the link the other day with one N, and he's like oh, a no. financial planner. So <laughs> I got scared. I thought someone stole my website. Every uh, once in a while, I send people to the wrong – I spell Frazier wrong, too. I right, mean, I right. get it. I didn't know how to spell it till I married him. So, you know, every once in a while, I still, I still do it wrong. Um, but I know one of the things that you you had a post on is that you were talking about um, numerology in dreams. And I know that numerology is just another system of um, symbolism. And so what types of systems like numbers and that type of thing appears in your dreams? What do you pay attention to? What are the details you can interpret? And are there any details that just aren't interpretable? Well, I do believe that everything is ultimately interpretable. Um, and one of the reasons I turn to numerology when numbers show up is as a starting point. Like it's, it's, if I don't have a sense of, you know, why a number or numbers are appearing in a dream, I can always start with the numerology and it at least it'll kick off a conversation um, about what the dream meaning might be. And I'm not a numerologist, so I can't like do your numbers, but talk about archetypes, one through nine is a system of archetypes. And they tell an elegant story. And the story starts with one, singularity. And that's what one represents, a sense of wholeness, completeness, and singularity and beginnings. When you split one off to two, now we've got the consciousness of separate, of other, of me and you, of coupling, of reflection, because that's what two can do. Well, now right. split off to three. Well, what can you do when you've now split off into two? You can create something. And so three becomes creativity. One plus two equals three. Mother, father creates child. Artist, canvas creates painting. Once you've mastered creativity, you can build a foundation for life to exist. And that's where four comes into play. Four is, and look at, look at bricks and pieces of wood that make houses. They are square or rectangular, four angles. So four is about foundation. What can you do when you have a foundation? You can begin to be expressive and have freedom. That's what five represents. Because five adds that extra additional energy to the foundation of four. Once you've had freedom as a consciousness, now you can start sharing this with others. And six becomes the number of sharing and community and, and partnership and marriage because it's two threes interacting with each other. And you've got the freedom standing on the foundation. Once you've mastered that as a human experience, you can look up and consider the divine Consider the universe that invented you, and that's what seven does. You add one more to it, seven is the number of mysticism, spirituality, considering you know, your divine nature. Once you've done that, what do you learn? What, is, what does God teach us? Well, that we live in an abundant, infinite universe. So eight is about abundant and infinity. Once you've mastered that, once you understand that this is an abundant, infinite experience that life is and consciousness is, you're done. And so nine is completion endings that's an easy story to remember and then you can you can put any set of numbers into that 
template and have an understanding. What's your unconscious thinking about? Right. So it's a really elegant way to look at it. And I hadn't ever heard it described quite that way. So I really like that because you're right. It's simple. It's kind of almost mnemonic in yes. a way. It's, it's, easy, it's an easy way to remember it. So I love that. Thank you. That's something I'd never heard before. Okay. So appreciate that. Now, um, so what if I just wake up and the only thing I remember about my dream is the number five? Then does that mean that that's what I just I need to look at what number five means? Well, I would say this, that there's no wrong way to consider any dream, Okay. right? If yep. that's true, then it doesn't matter <laughs> uh, how or what you look at it, uh, uh, which way you look at it, but that you look at it, right? That, to right. me, is what counts. Okay. That, that you consider the dream. I sometimes describe the unconscious as an eight-year-old at the pool. The eight-year-old is at the side of the pool, jumps in, but first he goes, Ma! Look, look, look at me. Like, look at me. It's like, well, okay, I'm reading my book, but I'm going to look up and okay, yeah, hi, you're jumping in. Isn't that great? And then what happens a minute later? The eight-year-old gets back out of the pool, on the side of the pool, wants to jump in again, not doing anything new or different. Uh, oh, look at me. <laughs> I, this is sort of what the unconscious is. It's saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. And then when it does, it thrives and it expands its capacity to communicate with us. And so if one morning you wake up and the communication is five, yeah, I would, I would then say, okay, go online. Google is the best dream dictionary ever mm -hmm. and look up five. And I would even say that the place you land is the meaning that's perfect for you. Even if this yeah. website says five is freedom and expressiveness and that website says five is the number of, I don't know, something else, where you land is the perfect message just for you because you drew it to you. Right. So what about common dream experiences? Like I, I you know, I, I do the, the dream interpretation column for Paranormal Underground and I get some of the dr same dreams and I have people all the time come up to me and say, you know, and this is the most common one I get is probably the most common one you get too. I'm back in school and I haven't studied for my finals and I don't know. I mean, that's so why do we, what is it about us that we have this common dream or these common dreams? Well, I would say one way I'd love to answer that question is, is that we're just so much more alike than we are different. That's one thing. Yeah. Back to the idea of the meaning in dreams is based on the symbol itself, what it is, what it does, what its uses, and what its essence. What is a test? A test is a countable, an accountable responsibility moment for showing up to knowing everything you're supposed to know to be successful. And so where did we first encounter that in school? So in school, the test and responsibility and accountability is imprinted on our consciousness because it's the first time where we experienced it. So it becomes sort of permanently imprinted on us that study plus test and accountability equals you know, stress and overwhelm and whatever, all the stuff that's associated with it. So that any time a dreamer is facing a stressful moment in their lives as an adult where they're going to be held accountable for something, the unconscious, the brain, if you will, will say, okay, well, 
he or she, you know, they're feeling stressed. They're going to be held accountable. Remember that image? Oh, yeah. Who could forget that image from when they were 15 and taking an algebra test? You know, In and Out, that what's it, Inside Out, that movie with that, that animated movie about the girl and her five. Oh, yeah, I didn't traits. see it, but I know what you're talking about. Oh, my God. Go see that. That is like a primer of how dreams and memory. It's so accurate. And it literally has images to show up and say, oh, OK, we're stressed again. Let's throw that image up because it's reflecting the stress that the adult is having is just like the stress that the teenager in school is having. And then if they're feeling, say, vulnerable at the same time, they're probably naked as well. Naked, probably, yeah. So what's happening if they're naked, they're taking a test and their teeth are falling out? Oh, well, they're vulnerable, insecure, (laughs) unable to take a bite out of life, having a trouble finding their voice. (laughs) Uh, unable to protect themselves, attract love and sustain and nurture themselves. I would say they're a mess, but they should just go to sleep, have another set of dreams, wake up and do it all over again. Because back to, you know, I don't ever use the term wish fulfillment, but I do use the term compensatory, okay. that dreams compensate. And so having, yeah, so, you know, think about the teeth. We, uh, we use them to sustain and nurture ourselves by digestion. We, yes. uh, we attract love. By revealing them in a smile, we right. repel danger by by revealing them in a snarl. I mean, that's a little overly. I don't, I don't know too many people who snarl. Dogs, you know. dogs do. Right, but yeah. snarling is very clear expression. Even if we as right. humans don't snarl, we know what a snarl means, and the right. teeth are part of that. Right. Yeah. So if you can't attract, love, sustain, and nurture yourself and protect yourself, you're insecure about how to navigate and get your basic needs met responsibility is the test piece and nakedness is vulnerability and exposure. So if all three are showing up in a dream, though, I don't know that I've ever heard that um, all three (laughs) happening. You're, you may be having a compensatory experience that allows you to process the fear that's underneath. When we do that, we actually have the strength and the courage and the fortitude to do the thing that we have to do because we've given some breathing space to the part of us that's afraid. Right. Makes sense. So can dreams be prophetic, do you think? Oh, gosh, yes. Not How only can they the be. Difference? Pardon? How do you tell the difference between if I'm having a prophetic dream or if I'm having a symbolic dream or I ate pizza before I went to sleep? <laughs> My experience with prophetic dreams is that people who have them have them. And people who don't, don't. Okay. And so um, it's a it's a a particular way that people are intuitive, and it's built into their particular makeup. So when I have met people who say, "Oh yes, I prophetic dreams," and then I talk to them, and they will give me instance after instance after instance, usually happening from early on in their lives. often intergenerational. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say to me, oh yes, my mother, my mother's mother also, right? So there's that phenomenon that dreams are prophetic and it's a very specific skill set. Now, I, as an example, have devoted my entire life to dreams and dreaming. I don't have prophetic dreams because it's not in my wheelhouse. Sure. What happens, I get this all the time, is someone says, I had a dream that my, you know, uh, girlfriend had a car crash in the Sepulveda Pass in the rain. 
is that going to come true? And I'm like, well, are you prone to prophetic dreams? Like, well, no. But it was so vivid. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't think so. It's just a dream, and it's probably about a shift and a change in your relationship and some emotional impact to how you two are getting along. And the driving is the path of the relationship. The rain is an emotional sort of outpouring. The Sepulveda Pass is a hill, which means it's something you have to ascend and climb over. You know, maybe just talk it out and have a nice romantic evening. I don't think she's going to die in a fiery car crash. (laughs) Right. Right. So, yeah, 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 that's – I do think that more and more people – the, this day and age are waking up to their intuition. I'm seeing it a lot over the last 10, 20 years. And yeah. so I do think it's more common for people to have prophetic dreams, but it's much more likely to look like this, where you have a dream, and this is actually one that I was told, you have a dream that you're sitting cross-legged in a circle of people in a large room. That's it. No real, you don't think, you don't know what it means. Um and then two weeks later, someone takes you to a, an event, and there you are, sitting in a circle, cross-legged, in a big room, and you're like, oh, my God, I dreamed this. That's, I think, how it works more often than it might be in the movies, where yeah. the dream is, like, you know, prophetic and an occurrence and an event, and it happens, and you know about it in advance, unless that's how you experience your intuition. Yeah, that's one of the ways I do. I dream, um, but mine are about three very specific things. So it's either train wrecks, derailments, um, school shootings. Oh. Um, yeah, and uh, earthquakes. So literally before these events happen. Within 24 you, hours. Within 24 hours. Okay, the next time you have an earthquake dream, will you call me? Yeah, yeah. I live in Los Angeles. That right. would be well, helpful. Right, well, I'm in the Seattle area, so, you know, we're due. <laughs> oh, my God, that's right. We're on the same fault line. We are on the same fault line, yes. <laughs> no, yeah, listen, I, I can, you know, my, my closest story to anything like that uh, was worthless to me, but it happened where um, on September... I don't know, 6th or 7th of whatever the year that was, 9-11 occurred, I was on my way to a barbecue and I got there and a friend had picked me up because we drove together and I said, you have to take me home. Uh, He said, well, I'm not going to do that. You can take a cab. (laughs) But I literally had to leave because I was overcome with an experience of, I don't even know what to call it, but you know, I'm a pretty gregarious and social guy. Even when I don't want to be at a place, I can certainly do it. I can put on the small talk right. hat. And you know, I can, um, And there are times where I don't want to do that, but I can still do it. This was something very different. I was just overwhelmed that something terrible was going to happen. And something terrible happened a few days later. I didn't, re- I don't remember that they were right next to each other for years. But so at the point I'm making, the reason I'm even telling this story is I want to, I don't want, I, I'd never want a person to have a terrible dream and be afraid that it means that something terrible is going to happen because yeah. chances are it doesn't. Yeah. Well, you're, and you're I probably think, a different, you know, you're a different story and you've well, gotta, I kind of figured out because I never get enough detail that I know where it's going to be or what I just know it is. It, yeah. And, got it. All I figured I can do is send love and energy to that event in hopes that maybe it helps. But I mean, that's my solution. Right. Why not? Yeah. That's, that's, that's that's how I'm guiding people to handle the entire landscape of, of, of our, you know, our, our experience today on the planet. 
rather than getting caught up and terrified about, oh, my God, these terrible things are happening. Let the terrible things that do occur and will continue to occur be how you guide and direct your good thoughts, prayerful thoughts, loving energy, because that's where it's needed at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And that's that's kind of I've, I've kind of gotten there myself. It took a while, but I get it. Okay, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and continue our discussion. You're listening to Paranormal Underground Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. Hey everyone, if you can't get enough of Paranormal Underground, then I've got good news for you. We're on social media. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and I think even on MySpace, and nobody has a MySpace page anymore. So check out Paranormal Underground on your favorite social media site today. You are a waste. A loser. Everyone hates you. Why don't you just stay in your car and keep driving? I'm serious. Drive until you run out of gas and get out of your car and walk until you find someone who doesn't think you're dumber than bricks. Could take a while, but at least all that walking might burn a couple of calories. You may not witness bullying like this every day. Your kids do. They want to help, but they don't know how. Visit StopBullying.gov to learn safe, simple ways your child can help stop bullying. Be more than a bystander at StopBullying.gov. A message from the Ad Council. Close Encounters of the Christ Kind. Science fiction author Douglas Brody retells the life of Jesus according to ancient alien theory. As the Bible's angels are revealed to be extraterrestrials, beam down to create a hybrid golden child who may just change the history of humankind for the better if another visitor from a far planet named Satan doesn't arrive first. The Planet Jesus Trilogy, Book 1, Flesh and Blood. For full background material and ordering information, visit planetjesustrilogy.com where the New Testament meets the Twilight Zone. Hey everyone, it's Karen Frazier, co-host of Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark. Thanks for listening to the show. You've probably read my column in Paranormal Underground Magazine. I write columns about energy healing, metaphysics, and also dream interpretation. But did you know I also am an author of multiple books about metaphysics and the paranormal? You can learn more about the books that I've written on my website, authorkarenfraser.com. That's author, Karen, K-A-R-E-N, Frazier, F-R-A-Z-I-E-R.com. Hey, are you looking for a new paranormal podcast? Check out All Day Paranormal with me, Crystal Vermis. And me, Manny Vega. We come to you every week with the latest in supernatural news and entertainment. That's right, and you can find out more by going to GetSpooked.net. And don't forget to check out our YouTube show by going to GetSpooked.net slash YouTube. The Crusaders are commonly thought to have been motivated by the deep Christian faith. Crusades were actually war-inspired by the average of medieval ecclesial leaders who were only searching for total power and control. Well-played mind games which spoke about demonic forces, witchcraft and deadly possessions, many Europeans gave into their fears and banned the truth of an ancient and earthly civilization from their daily lives. It became an unknown world, 
not seen by the naked eye but capable of possessing your soul and in the worst case even kills you. In order to keep the people away from the truth, it had to be feared forever. Restoring the voice of our people, we give back what once was stolen from you. Your freedom and thinking, creating and believing. The Source of Immortality, written by Maria Anna van Driel, www.amazon.com. Welcome back to Paranormal Underground Radio. I'm your host, Karen Frazier, and I'm talking with Dr. Michael Lennox. He's the author of Llewellyn's Little Book of Dreams. So Cheryl, whose microphone is not working, well, she wants to know why it's important to use dream interpretation to learn lessons and help us on our life's journey. Well, let's start with just the idea of how important it is to learn life lessons and right. be helped on the journey. That that is, in fact, why, you know, some people would say that's why we're here. We're here to learn. I got to tell you something. I don't know why we're here. But I do know that while here, that the more I learn about who I am and how it works, the better the experience is. Right. Right. So that is yeah. that is just a fact for my experience and certainly the people that I know and the people that I work with that the more I learn, first of all, if nothing else, the more I learn about how things work and interact, the less mistakes I make and the better my experience. One of the things that I think that that speaks to why dream interpretation is a wonderful tool to use for self-actualization is because it's literally the closest to your actual experience because they happen inside of you. They are directly reflecting you more directly than, say, going to an outside source for wisdom or support, which I... I agree. Certainly support as well. One should go anywhere and everywhere for, right. for, for support. But the dream life of a person is their soul singing directly to them in their own song. And so even again, if you don't land on an interpretation of a dream that is as aha oriented as I might offer if I was working with somebody in the spirit of the unconscious desire to express itself and then the conscious mind responding in turn by saying, oh, hi, dream. What, 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 do, you, what do you have to say to me? Uh, what do you offer me? And then wait for maybe another dream or another thought to occur. Just that process of becoming intimate with the dreams that you're having will, in fact, teach you life lessons about who you are and how you operate, even if it doesn't happen in an intellectually oriented, satisfying, rational way. Right. It is, in fact, the irrational, heartfelt expansion of wisdom that is much more valuable in the long run. Good answer. Um, so do dream symbols and archetypes cross cultures? Well, absolutely. You know, this was the thing that blew Jung just out of his little Swiss mind was he had been, you know, remember, the world was tiny back then. Um, uh, you know, we didn't have the Internet. Uh, and so the idea that Jung, a Swiss uh, physician, would go to Africa was, you know, mind boggling. And th what happened for him was after working for, you know, decades with uh, his sort of upper middle class Swiss, you know, compatriots and finding that they were dreaming of falling, flying, being chased uh, uh, and getting into, you know, challenges with the banker, he went to Africa. And what did he find? That the 
African natives, the First Nations people that he was working with and being with, were dreaming of falling and flying and being chased. Oh. It just wasn't a banker, it was a tiger, but it's the same principle. And he was like, oh, wow. I think he probably had an expectation that these primitives were going to have primitive dreams. But in fact, he found that they were having the exact same dreams as his, you know, um, uh, the people that, that were more culturally akin to him. Um, sure. And this helped him understand and codify the notion of the collective unconscious as being global, right. not having any demarcation that was cultural or historical or geographical or anything. And we are all unified and connected. Through. So why can't, um, and I, I, I also do work as a, an intuitive and a psychic, and I find so often it comes to me in symbols just like dreams do. Why can't they just, why can't it just tell us? <laughs> <laughs> well, if I could answer that, I'd probably be God. And so wouldn't it be great uh, if it did though? Wouldn't it be great? You know, I um all I know is that it doesn't. It is symbolic in nature, whether it is through intuitive psychic expression that speaks in images and symbols, or dreams that speak through images and symbols. Um or, you know, the experience that people report when they say that they've done, you know, plant medicine and, and had, you know, trips of, of, of an expansive nature. It just isn't rational. You know, in the split off of the consciousness that looks back and sees itself and therefore it's like the God and the world and universe says I am and we got created to look back at it and say, yes, you are. And we say, yes, you are in this rational, intellectually based consciousness. And it's just separate from, but connected to, the yeah. central, explosive, expansive I am that doesn't know from words. But it's the only way to know itself is to describe itself in words. And when we are intuitive and when we are connected to that psychic expression of the universe itself, it's just not rational thought. So sorry. Wouldn't it be, yeah, wouldn't it be nice wouldn't if it be were? nice. Yeah. Um, so Cheryl wants to know, uh, because, and I did notice on your, on your website too, you have a dream circle. What is a dream circle? A dream circle is a gathering of people coming together to share dreams at the community level. They can be everything and anything from a bunch of friends who get together to have potluck and just share their dreams. Or in the case of with me, where there's an actual facilitator who's sort of guiding and moving the, the process on how I describe a dream circle is and how I do one is, is everybody puts a name in a, in a pot. I pick the first name and that person shares their dream first. When they're done, they pick the next name. And so each dreamer that goes picks the next person to go. And when I started doing that about five or six years ago, it was crazy what happened because the order that the dreams were coming in told a story as well. It would be like I'd pick the dreamer and they'd say, oh, I had this dream about ice cream. And then they go and then they pick the dream and then, they, oh, I had a dream about whipped cream. And then the, they go and then they pick, oh, my God, my dream was out of hot fudge. And then the dream about nuts. And the last dreamer has a dream about a cherry. And it's amazing. Now, it doesn't always happen like that, but it happens like that mostly. And sometimes it's so phenomenal the themes that recur and the storyline that gets told because of the order of dreams. So what I like in a dream circle is I tell everybody who comes, this is your dream. The whole collective experience is to be treated as if it's your dream. And you have come here at this time to get an intuitive dynamic reflection of where you're at 
It's being expressed by all the dreams that are being shared. And it's a little bit like a tarot reading where each dream is like a card that gets laid out by the reader. And then by interpreting it, and then, of course, it, because it's dream circle, people participate in the process of interpreting the dream or yeah. ruminating about the dream. Everybody goes away feeling like they're having an experience of where they're at at that particular moment, both personally and collectively as a group. Oh, my God, I'm going to totally do that. So I teach classes and I'm going to totally do that. You just I'm stealing that. Do it and put the names in the hat. I'm telling you, that was yeah. a game changer. I I. I'm like super excited now because I was kind of, I've been thinking about this class and I keep saying, well, because I have one coming up in September and I keep saying, well, the first, you know, the first half hour, 45 minutes, we're going to discuss, discuss all these various techniques. Then we're no, going to work on it. And that's the no, perfect do, way to do, do that. I think you'll, you will find it incredibly satisfying. And the people who come forward will feel so jazzed about the experience that they have. You might just have a really repeatable, satisfying experience that people will be like, yeah, I want to go do that again. Oh, I'm super excited about that. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, and then Cheryl also wanted to know, how can we use automatic handwriting in dream interpretation? Well, it, it, you know, automatic handwriting covers a couple of different techniques. Um, so one is, and this actually was something that Jung practiced and taught, which is to have an interaction with the unconscious, um, maybe uh, using a character that shows up in a dream, where you have a dialogue and you literally sit down with a piece of paper and you write with your dominant hand from your perspective. And then in the non-dominant hand, you switch the pen over and allow the unconscious to speak as if maybe they were the voice of the character in the dream. So you have a dream about, you know, uh, the clown comes out of the car and eats the doggy. I'm thinking about I it. hope I don't have that dream. Go well, on. Well, I'm thinking about it. Uh, Stephen King's novel. That's, that's being, why I'm that's saying I don't have that I dream. can't wait to see it. It's one of his my favorite novels of his. Uh, so forgive me for the creepy image. But you would write with your dominant hand, hey, clown, what are you here for? What's your message for me? Change hands and write with your non-dominant hand. And the Jung believed, and I've certainly had the experience of, by doing that, allowing the non-dominant hand to write, even if like you wouldn't be able to read it, there's something that gets activated where information comes through. Thoughts will come through that you, you might not expect to happen. Um, and that's one certain form of automatic handwriting that's very akin to dream work and dream interpretation and allows you to deepen the expression that the unconscious mind has to offer. Can you read with your non-dominant hand? Never. You know, I have a friend, uh, <laughs> a client I've worked with for years who's also got a master's in psychology. She's a pretty, pretty hip uh, uh, lady um she just uses different colored pens yeah i uh i've you know, done it's an imaginative experience i have done it with my non-dominant hand and had profound experiences in the moment yeah but it's definitely not about going back to the paper and reading it you know you don't re you can't reflect on it but in the moment i've had i've had moments where i felt like i was actually having paradigm shifts by asking a question with my dominant hand and then just having a thing occur, an emotional, psychic experience right. of what happened when I switched hands and put the pen in the other hand. So that happened. Okay. Well, this is a little bit off the, the topic of dream interpretation, but I just started thinking about it as you were talking. So there are a lot of channeled works available. 
Um, and, you know, I just, for people who might be saying, well, what do you mean? Um, Neil Donald Walsh, the Cryon works, the Seth works. Uh, and I mean, there are so many, uh, my favorite, the Emmanuel works, things like that. Do you uh, think, uh, Esther Hicks and Abraham, very popular. Do you think that it is coming from somebody's subconscious or do you think that, that there's a connection? Or you know, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I I absolutely, I, I call myself half scientist, half mystic, and it mm. is 50-50. It yeah. is not 50.5 and 49.5. It is 50-50. Yeah. So an idea like channeling a disembodied or disen, you know, uh, entity and coming through with wisdom as a mystical experience, I buy that 50%. And the other 50 says, yeah, yeah, you know, give me some proof. As an example, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, I went to a channeling event. This young man, was wasn't so young, but was trying his channeling for the first time. And he did the whole thing by inward aspirating his, his talk. I am the man from Mars. And I just sat there with my eyes rolling. It was like all I could do to... Now, cut to 20 years later, and I've had some pretty profound spiritual experiences of my own, and I've had the experience of what happens when I inwardly aspirate the breath and what is expressible that's not expressible when I... In other words, I had the experience yeah. myself. Yeah. Right? So I, I, I share this with you to just sort of say, like, I have to answer the question, I don't know, but... I do believe that no one is immune from being the human channel of the wisdom that's coming through, which means their unconscious, their humanity has to be part of the process. And they're probably connecting to some fixed and existing interdimensionally experienced energetic that has a kind of consciousness. Right. That comes through and we get the benefit and the result. I don't have the, the knowledge to definitively say what it is, but I do believe that it is. And I believe that none of it is immune from the human being that's bringing it through. I had a friend who was a channel and she would go off and out the other room and then she'd hobble back in and she'd do this weird body stuff and her name was Mother and she channeled. I think the wisdom was bona fide, but I thought the other stuff was trappings. And when it was over, she'd be like, what did Mother say? As if she wasn't in the room. I'd be like, honey, you were right here in the room. You weren't not here. You don't, you haven't forgotten. And I absolutely believe that she was constructing. She's passed away, so I can talk about her. She, yeah. I absolutely believe she was constructing a untrue thing, projection, dramatization of her channeling experience because it served her to do so. But that the wisdom that came through her was absolutely true, pure, and bona fide. Both were present. So then probably anything that comes through a human conductor, I guess, I, I don't yeah. know what the word I want, <laughs> a human channel is there's always going to be some aspect of us projecting our ego, our beliefs, our filters onto it, no matter. Yes, yeah, certainly I think that it's possible for that conductor, that channel to be very, very good at getting out of the way. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that someone that we've seen and heard, someone that is doing that in a public way is probably good enough at that to be very pure in their experience of it. Right. But they're not gone. Right. Yeah, I, I was going to say, because I like when I write my books, um, I write them uh, usually in about four days. And I just sit there and I am a woman possessed. And you look like you understand that. I do completely. And so then later when I go back to do interviews like you're doing right now about my, and sometimes I'll have to go back and reread because I almost forgetting, forgot what I wrote. But at the same time, it's, I'm totally aware while I'm doing it, what I'm, right, what I'm right. doing, but I believe the information's coming through me. And it sounds like you sort of have the same experience. Exactly. I write a daily column between two and 800 words a day. And people say to me, how do you do that? It's like, it's. It ain't me. I'm just typing, but I'm not gone from the room. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. feeling and sensation of wisdom coming through is a very different experience than having coffee with a friend. Yeah. And then you have to kind of go back and refresh what you <laughs> refresh yourself. Yeah. I had an interview about the little book of dreams and they said, so you talk about 10 different, you know, dream and can I'm you, like, you around, brother, where's the book? Where's the book? And I grab the book and I'm puffing and I'm, I'm filtering through the pages and I'm like, oh, well, yes, there's the, there's, oh, yes, uh, precognitive dreams and anxiety I just did that last week in an interview. I had to go thumbing through the book because he was like, well, so this and this and this you said. And, and what, what was the, and I'm just thinking, I, uh, I've moved on to the next one. I don't, so I get it. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. All right. So let's do this. Uh, this is what we like to call here on paranormal underground radio, shameless self promotion corner. So Yay, I'll, I'll shamelessly self promote. So yeah. Um, the best way to reach me is Michael Lennox.com. Uh, M I C H A E L L E N N O X.com. And uh, you can sign up for my newsletter. I do a bi monthly new moon, full moon writing newsletter that's free. I also have a daily column that you can subscribe to that has a, an investment associated with it, $8 a month. And information about that is there. Working with me privately in, as a dream interpreter or a therapist or an astrologer is also available on michaellennox.com. But I also have a pretty big presence on Facebook, both as Michael Lennox, but also my dream page, which is Perchance to Dream on Facebook. Um, I've been sort of uh, dabbling with uh, Instagram lately. Dr. Lennox Dreams, D-R-L-E-N-N-O-X Dreams um, is my uh, my Instagram moniker. And I have a fabulous intern who comes up with the best images and puts that stuff out. Um, so that's another way of uh, keeping in touch with me. Okay. So do you have time for just one more question? Just because Absolutely. I feel like based on what you said, and I bet you know what it's going to be. What was the, what do you feel was the influence of the eclipse we had this week? Oh, wow. You got another hour? <laughs> no, well, I, you know, I, I, I would love I, to talk to you about it for an hour, but I just, it just I struck can, me I, that I, it would be a good question to ask. Well, it, it was big. I, um, it was as big to me as the eclipse in 2003 that was uh, associated with what was called the harmonic um, convergence. Uh -huh. uh, or was it the convert? Yeah, it was the concordance. And the convergence yeah. was 87. And then the concordance was 2003. And then there was this eclipse. And to me, these three eclipses were the entryway into the age of Aquarius. Gear shifts in. And I think we are there. We have arrived. It has started. It's a 2,000-year age. It's the age where we come together as a community. That's what Aquarius is all about. 
Um, we come, we emerge out of a kind of unconsciousness that Pisces was all about. The ages move backwards. What makes this eclipse particularly powerful is, is that there are other cycles that are happening simultaneously that all connect to the same degree point. So like Mercury is retrograde right now as part what? of the eclipse cycle happening simultaneously. But that's not what's so rare. What's rare is, is that Mercury retrogrades back to 28 degrees of Leo, which is exactly where the sun and the moon eclipsed each other. Oh, wow. That's rare. Yeah. Uranus is the planet that's called the Great Awakener, and he's at 28 degrees, same degree point of Aries, in a triangle to the eclipse. And Uranus wakes us up. He, he, sh he shakes things up and makes unexpected uh, things occur out of the blue. And so when you – and there's more – but that's enough to, even if you don't understand the astrological implications of what I'm saying, you can certainly understand that geometrically a lot of stuff is lining up to happen at the same time that makes this yeah. eclipse bigger than a typical one. And if, if you look at where the eclipse happened, back to the archetypes, it happened in the archetype of Leo. And yeah. Leo is about passion, leadership, creative expression, and really getting big and bold in the world with who you are, what you have to offer, and what your voice is here to tell that those who will draw near you to hear what you have to say. Whether that happens out in the world of podcasts or at home at the grocery store, all of us have an opportunity to really step into a profound sense of what am I passionate about? Where's leadership working in my life? How do I get bigger and bolder in the world so that I can make the planet a better place to live? Perfect. My son is a Leo, Leo, Leo. And I told him he needs to, uh, right? Lucky me, huh? He's oh. 21. And yes, he's a Leo, 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 moon, moon rising moon, and sun. Rising and sun. Oh, dear God. Yeah, and I, and I said, I said, this eclipse means something for you, kid. <laughs> right. That's yeah. right. All right. Yeah. Well, so it's michaellennox.com. And the book is, again, one more time. Llewellyn's Little Book of Dreams. And it really is little. And it comes so, out <laughs> September 8th. And it is available everywhere books are sold. Fantastic. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. I hope you will come back and talk to us again because I feel like we just scratched the surface. Anytime, any subject. Fabulous. Thank you, Michael. Now, please stay tuned for our correspondent segments coming up next. I'm Crystal Vermis. And I'm Manny Vega. And we are your Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark correspondents from Boston, Massachusetts. We also host the All Day Paranormal Podcast, which you can find on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere else that you can find good podcasts. Check out more about us on GetSpooked.net, where you can also subscribe to our weekly paranormal newsletter. Now, let's get to our paranormal news segment of the week. All right, let's get into some paranormal news. Let's do it. You said you have a funny one? I thought it was a little funny. A little, little comical. <laughs> I don't know how, how funny others will find it, but I thought it was a little funny. Uh, this is a, a story that got some national attention in the past week uh, about a uh, accused criminal who tried to ward off the authorities with hoodoo. Okay, mm. this is pretty pretty interesting. Uh, she's actually a Ponzi schemer. This is a story from the Washington Post. Uh, it says federal agents likely were not bracing for many surprises when they pushed through the doors of a Chevy Chase Maryland condo building on August second. This was, on paper at least, a fairly routine alleged Ponzi fraud. But when investigators began picking through the penthouse apartment owned by financial advisor and former radio host Don J. Bennett, agents from the FBI bumped into one oddity after the next, according to court documents. Sure, there were the accoutrements of, of excess. Uh, the closet was clogged with hundreds of pairs of shoes. 
but agents also discovered biographical information on attorneys with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Hmm. They additionally turned up handwritten notes detailing something called a beef tongue shut up hoodoo spell, a procedure called uh, or a procedure calling for slitting open an animal tongue. Another note was scratched with an incantation, and this is the incantation in quotes: "I cross and cover you. Come under my command. I command you to hold your tongue." Okay, then the two freezers. Inside, the shelves were crowded with dozens of sealed jars, many inked on the lids with the initials of SEC staff, the documents say. The bizarre findings, according to an affidavit filed in federal court this week, suggested Bennett had, quote-unquote, many times cast a hoodoo spell in hopes of paranormally silencing the SEC attorneys handling her case. The suspected spell didn't work. On Monday, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Baltimore filed a federal complaint uh, in U.S. District Court against Bennett for wire fraud, bank fraud, and false statements in relation to loan and credit applications. The advisor was arrested on August 25th in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, and the same day, they filed uh, civil action uh, against a sports apparel business. Apparently, she's been you know, doing classic Ponzi scheme. She um, has been using money that she got from later marks to pay off the previous marks, uh, and meanwhile, buying herself a ton of shoes, you know, this great penthouse apartment, and all that kind of stuff. But... Um, Yes, she tried to basically silence the SEC attorneys with the hoodoo spell. You know, she knew that they were investigating her, and her attempt to, I guess, ward them off was to try to use a hoodoo spell. It didn't work, though. Yeah, I'm a little sad. That makes me think that hoodoo doesn't work. Well, I mean, I, wonder, <laughs> I always want to believe in that kind of thing, you know. But so. I wonder if it's all, you know, it's all about the person who's doing it, right? Like, what if you, you mess it up? Yeah. So I actually looked up because I was like uh, curious about this beef. Telling You're like, well, spell. I'm gonna go curse well, some people, well, right? You know, I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, just curious. I like what. So this guy, this blogger, uh, Conjure Doctor. He's a great guy to go to if you're going to, like, buy a bunch of hoodoo materials. He's got a shop on his website and stuff. Uh, and I, I, He's actually a, a hoodoo root worker and a spiritual medium. And actually, if you want uh, a professional to do it, perhaps you should have just called him up yeah. and had him do it. So that can, way it would work. He can do the root work. He does a root work consultation service. Uh, but as he says, people can't seem to shut their mouths and mind their own business. Uh, that's where the good old beef tongue shut up spell comes in handy. This is a classic example of sympathetic magic. In this case... A beef tongue is used to represent your enemy's wagging tongue, uh, and the spell uses very clear symbolism to tie that tongue up and stop them from speaking out against you. But just to be clear, you can't substitute anything, and you uh, you know can't reply asking if you can change the spell. He says, "Don't you know act like you can sub out a beef tongue for a I don't know like ch- a, a chicken tongue, tongue or something." Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to perform it exactly as it stands. You need all sorts of stuff: beef tongue, black string, a needle, a piece of brown paper, uh, like a, a clean unprinted grocery bag. A pen, sulfur, alum, slippery elm, um, STFU powder, STFU oil, which is what he sells. Oh, yeah. So uh, you have to get it from him. You have to get his products. You can't sum it out. A black candle of any size, a knife, and a plate. And he's got like all these really specific uh, instructions on how to do it. So maybe she just screwed it up. Maybe she just didn't. It's possible. I mean, she screwed something up because it didn't work. Clearly, so. I mean, she didn't follow. Maybe she maybe she didn't get the STFU oil. Yeah. Maybe she got like, the. She didn't buy. Yeah, she didn't buy the right. She got the store brand oil. Yeah. Oh. You can't oh, go to the store brand, guys. Cl- stick with classic the brand mistake, classic mistake. Yeah. Well, my story uh, isn't about curses this week. It's not as funny. It's okay. actually more along the lines of terrifying. Oh, good. So I'm here to bring the terror this week. Excellent. So as the story goes, everyone loves a good ghost story. Up until the moment, the screen flashes with that based on a true story disclosure. Mm. <laughs> then stuff starts to get real. Starting about three months ago, 
Adam Ellis, who's a writer for BuzzFeed, uh, has found himself in the middle of a real-life paranormal activity, and he's the one being haunted. Mm. So he is actually documenting all of his experiences on Twitter. Oh, interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's very interesting. So I'm going to, I mean, this, the tweets uh, go on for quite a while. I mean, he's still going. Yeah, He's right. still going documenting this. But um, I'm going to read a portion of, of his story and give you an idea of exactly what's going on in his apartment. Okay. As Adam says, So my apartment is currently being haunted by the ghost of a dead child, and he's trying to kill me. Whoa. He started appearing in dreams, but I think he's crossed over into the real world now. The first time I saw him, I was experiencing sleep paralysis and saw a child sitting in the green rocking chair at the foot of my bed. He had a huge misshapen head that was dented on one side. Mm. And he actually did his best to draw uh, an image of it. Yeah, that's creepy. And it looks like a, almost like a toddler's large head, but there's like a chunk taken out of it. Yeah, like straight up a big chunk. He says, for a while, he just stared at me. But then he got out of the chair and started shambling toward the bed. Mm. I couldn't move because I was paralyzed. Right before he reached my bed, I woke up screaming. I had another dream a few nights later where I was in the library and a girl came up to me and said, you've seen dear David, haven't you? I was like, who? And she said, dear David, you saw him. She continued, he's dead. He only appears at midnight and you can ask him two questions if you say, Dear David first. Then she added, never try to ask him a third question or he'll kill you. So, I mean, what? I said, wow. I mean, so like that is very (laughs) specific so far. Yeah. I mean, like, so he has this um, situation where, you know, now he's got another like girl coming to him and telling him. How does he remember these dreams in such detail though? Like it's like well, really... he has sleep paralysis. I don't know. I mean, he has sleep paralysis, and maybe that lucid dreaming kind of helps him, like... Recall things, yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's not really necessarily dream. Well, I don't know, that's interesting. Go on. He goes on to say, David came back in another dream. Same situation. I was in bed, and he was sitting in the rocking chair near the window, staring at me. In the dream, I say, Dear David, how did you die? He mumbles, An accident in a store. I say, Dear David... What happened in the store? He groans, a shelf was pushed on my head. Hmm. I'm frozen with fear. I ask, who pushed this shelf? He doesn't answer. I realize that I've asked a third question, which I'm not supposed to do. At that point, I wake up absolutely terrified. The next couple of days, I Google deaths in the city, but can't find anything about a kid named David dying in the store. I even try different names, like Daniel, Dylan, Devin, nothing. A few weeks go by without incident. Sort of randomly, the apartment above mine is vacated, and I have the opportunity to move into it. It's a larger apartment, so I'm thrilled. Another month or two goes by, and I sort of forget about Dear David. I think he lost track of me because I moved upstairs. But lately, something strange is happening. For the past four nights, my cats gather at the front of the door at exactly midnight and just stare at it, almost like something is on the other side. Well, Last night, I got a weird feeling and I looked out at the peephole, and I'm dead certain I saw a movement on the other side. When I opened the door and turned on the hall light, nothing was there. But my cats seemed unnerved. And that's where I am now. Dear David found me, I think. I don't know what to do. I'll keep you updated. And then he says... For the sixth night in a row, my cat has walked over to the door promptly at midnight and stared at it. 
And then he has video footage here on Twitter of his cat staring at the door. Mm. And then he actually uses his camera to take a photo of what he sees through the peephole. He says, I couldn't tell, so I mustered the courage to open the door. Nothing was out there, but I took another photo. And in this photo, you can kind of see um, that something looks like um, in one of the photos that it's standing near the banister to the stairs mm. in front of his, you know, in his hall, the hallway of his apartment. Mm. In the second photo, there's nothing. So, yeah, that's really, I'm trying to see. Oh, yeah. right, because that's the banister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like almost like a shadow or something. Yeah, there's like a shadow on the banister. Um, so, you know, he's taken uh, multiple photos here. He thinks he's caught something standing in the hallway. Um, and he says, um, you know, all this stuff has been spooky, but for this weekend was the first time I actually felt unsafe in my home. Mm. And the thread goes on here for quite a long time. Yes. Um, he ends up having, having, um, more, uh, weird dreams. Um, this is just one incident that I'll, I'll, I'll wrap, I'll wrap up really quickly here. Um, he says, I had a dream one night where David was dragging me by the arm through an old abandoned warehouse. I'm not sure why I didn't fight back in the dream or how he was strong enough to pull me, but that's dream logic for you. <laughs> it was a creepy dream, but I didn't think much of it when I woke up. I took a shower and then I noticed something. I had woken up with a huge bruise on my arm and you can see it. He posts a photo, yeah, right? Well, Isn't that weird? Right on the wrist. Yeah, right, right on the wrist. wrist. And it's like very, very obvious. So um, it's you could almost see like the... Like yeah, like the th finger, th the finger marks. Yeah, something something had pressed right on his wrist, uh, like, like to drag him, like he said. He he even says, you know, now look, maybe I injured myself the day before, and my arm was hurting during the night, and it manifested in a dream. Um, there could be totally logical explanations for it. Um, and he goes, so I went to get coffee, which I do every weekend. When I walk to the coffee place, I always pass a food cart repair depot. It's always incredibly busy, especially on weekends. I've lived in the neighborhood for over four years, and the place has always been jam-packed with service carts. But today, it was completely abandoned. The whole warehouse was totally gutted and empty. The only thing in the warehouse was a single green chair. Hmm. If you recall, David first appeared in my dream in a green rocking chair. Right. Isn't that crazy how that looped around? So this, I mean, I saw that first tweet was on August 7th. Um, mm -hmm. And he's still going. Yeah, this is still going. I mean, I just went to his Twitter really quick just to check, and he's like, you know, uh, chairs have been moved in his apartment. He's sharing yep. photos of it. Um, and he's getting, like, hundreds of retweets on each tweet and stuff. But his most recent tweet was just two days ago where he's confirming that he isn't, in fact, alive because he hadn't tweeted in a few days. And people were like, oh, God, David got him. David got him. But um, he's like, no, guys, I'm alive. I just don't tweet much during the week. Um, but I'll keep you updated if anything happens. Um this is weird. <laughs> like, first of all, it's funny that no one thought to document this kind of yeah, thing on Twitter that's until what I'm now. Yeah, this um, is a live. I mean, it's been a live haunting. almost a month. Almost a live, a live haunting. haunting. So, okay, first of all, the first question is: He's a BuzzFeed writer, so what are the likelihood that he's just like live tweeting a, a story that he's going to publish a book about? You know oh what I mean? yeah, don't say. I just well, I just got to bring it up. I just want to bring it up. <laughs> I just want to get the right, okay. you trust that they, that our buddy here, Adam Ellis, is not okay. lying. Yeah. Okay. Do you? Do. Oh, you're asking yes. me if I do. Yes. Because okay. I want to believe right now. Okay, you want to believe. believe. That's fair. Let no, that's fair. Believe. And I mean, um, he's certainly presenting it like it's a real story. So let's just assume that it's real. Yeah. Um, do you think that's possible? Like, do you think he's dreamt of a ghost that has now stepped out of the dream? Or like it's Freddy Krueger stuff going on here? Like, what's, um, what's going on? 
I, yeah, sure. I think he's being haunted. Do you How think, is he not being haunted? Do you think the dream was a warning of some kind? Like, was it like a, what? Like, like the ghost was always there. He just in the dream world he became aware of this ghost. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah. Why not? I, I think he probably honestly. I think he probably has some kind of psychic abilities or whatnot, yeah. and that's why he's like. That's probably why ghosts are coming to him, and he, you know. This he's not really good at managing his abilities, and this is kind of what's happening. Do you think David is is actually trying to kill him, or do you think? No, I don't think David's trying to kill him. But is, is, I mean, he has a feeling that someone's trying to kill. Him. Like, I don't know. He seems threatened. He feels. Threatened. I don't know. I don't know. Because then I'm like, I don't know if it's a ghost. Then what if it's a demon? Right. You know, what if it's a child ghost in disguise? And like, and who was the girl? Who was the yeah, girl? the girl ghost. I don't know. So, I mean, if you want to um, follow him, his um, handle is Moby underscore dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> so Moby underscore dickhead. Um, but we'll also have this news. We'll have both of our news stories in our show notes. Um, you can click on the links there. And, and oh God, I mean, hold on to the seat of your pants. <laughs> This is Maria Anna van Driel, Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark Correspondent, live from Germany. Today is going to be another day in which that particular question is passing your life. Who or what are the shadow people as they being sketched in that creepy legend we all know? This question I have asked myself several times in the past months because it has entered my life on a pretty much daily basis. Most people told me via Facebook as well as in personal conversations that the shadow people are dark human-like shadows having ill attentions and thus are evil. They have been reported by witnesses as big small, with and without heads, as a black mist standing alongside the bed, watching you. These in the dark, hiding and creepy shadows are the one of the most common form of ghosts that people witness. For many people, these scary shadows are disembodied humans who are lost They did not go forward in their life's journey by refusing to go toward the light that will lead them to the next phase after their physical body died. For others, these shadow figures are a result of sleep paralysis. But what if there is another plausible answer in their existence? What if they are partly projected by our own fears? an emotion which has the power of creating a strange kind of stress in our atoms. It is very plausible that the source for some ghostly apparitions lies in the transmitting of QGP or quark gluon plasma, due stress and telepathy. What can form a biological projection of holographic information that is bouncing off or captured in a magnetic or electromagnetic field? What could be seen as a smaller version of a holographic duality from the universe? Logical questions in this matter. Is this information coming from inherited memories? 
and stored inside our atoms. Information what can be projected as a 3D image to stressed cells, which are shooting superphotons and can become visible to UV light for instance. Are we watching a form of holographic entanglement coming from another universe or are we looking at a forgotten life form, having the same awareness of its surrounding as we do but walking in a different wavelength as we do? When thinking about it, it's plausible that we are projecting our own thoughts and emotions through a process like this. And with that having said, it's easy to understand the truth of the power of the mind. We certainly have the power to create new life forms even without our knowledge. But if we can do so, a similar life form can do the same. What means that we can be a holographic product from another and Asian civilization we know as the shadow people. Crazy questions with mind-bending theories concerning the shadow people who often seen fleeing if they realize they have been detected, what can indicate an understanding of how to move between different dimensions or even possessing an understanding of how to manipulate and control behavior of its atoms in its matter within a low magnetic field and the electromagnetic radiation of wavelengths. Now knowing that a shadow is an indication of the absence of light, it's almost logical to think of gluons and quark-gluon plasma in this creepy legend. A quark-gluon plasma is a state of matter in quantum chromodynamics and is thought to consist of asymptotically free quarks and gluons which are several of the basic building blocks of matter as we know it. In the 1980s and the 1990s several experiments at the CERN tried to create the QGP. The results led CERN to announce indirect evidence for a new state of matter in 2000. In June 2015 an international team of physicists produced quark-gluon plasma at the Large Hadron Collider by colliding protons with lead nuclei at high energy inside the supercollider's compact muon solenoid detector. They also discovered that this new state of matter behaves like a strange kind of fluid. Gluons are the exchange particles for the color force between quarks. Analogues to the exchange of photons in the electromagnetic force between two charged particles. The gluon can be considered to be the fundamental exchange particle underlying the strong interaction between protons and neutrons in the nucleus. In quantum mechanics the state of particles may be added according to the principle of superposition, that is, they may be in a combined state with a probability if some particle quantity is measured of given several different outcomes.
if one were somehow able to make a direct measurement of the color of a gluon in this state, there would be 50% chance of it having red anti-blue color charge and a 50% chance of blue anti-red color charge. What will happen when we remove those gluons? If you remove gluons from the nucleus, the nucleus will split. This process of splitting a nucleus is called nuclear fission and releases a high amount of energy. Luckily for us, this process can only take place at extreme conditions of temperature, think of cold spots, and pressure, what can be experienced as that unfamous ringing sound in the ears. So could it be that an evolution has been created during that well-known collision we know as the Big Bang Theory, have created the first life forms on Earth. A life form which did not contain gluons as a building block. If that process has taken place at the beginning of time as we know it, it also could have given a result of free building blocks within a low magnetic field floating through space as a dark or neon colored mass. And if these energies have swirled down to the Earth's surface due to magnetic fields, while our DNA was still struggling to survive volcanic gases and crazy pressures for instance, we suddenly understand a little bit more of the terms fallen angels or the gods of the sky. So understanding a bit more about how our brain, by use of our eyes, is translating the electromagnetic radiation of a wavelength within the visible spectrum equals understanding of how our brain can send you the message of being aware that a crazy form of density having no color is present in your near. The shadow people. Are they real as in the Schrödinger equation? Or are they real as in an Asian intelligent life form? If you'd like to be a guest on Paranormal Underground Radio, email editor at paranormalunderground.net. Until next time, keep exploring the unexplained at paranormalunderground.net. <laughs>